Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will look at Acts 27, beginning with verse 13, through chapter 28, verse 6. In our last session, we left Paul in the midst of a great storm as he was being taken to Rome to give his defense in Caesar's court. They had made slow progress, initially traveling along the coast in, in their ship, but because of the many delays and the slowness of the journey, they had to switch to a larger ship so as to travel in the open seas. On this ship, there were sailors, soldiers, and prisoners who had been convicted of various crimes and were on their way to Rome for their sentencing and their fate. Altogether, there were 276 people on board this ship. However, it had now become too late in the season to make a successful journey by ship to Rome, as they had now entered the winter season filled with storms and inclement weather. Paul had seen his share of shipwrecks in his travels and had been himself shipwrecked three times and traveling more than 3,500 miles during his ministry years. And from his experience, he could see that this was not the right time to make this voyage. And so he tried to warn Julius, the Roman centurion in charge of him, as well as the captain of the ship with these words, Men, I perceive that this voyage will enter with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. However, they chose to ignore Paul's counsel, and it would cost them dearly. So they headed out into the open sea. From the beginning, things were not going well. A gentle wind from out of the south, which provided them with a false sense of confidence as they headed toward Rome, soon turned into a fierce, tempestuous headwind, which we will now read about. Let us turn to our Bibles. Acts chapter 27, beginning with verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous wind arose, called Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred the disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for 
There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. What should have been a simple voyage to Rome quickly turned into an impossible journey. The ship was being mercilessly tossed around and they could barely navigate their way to an island called Clauda. It was at that time that they took the skiff on board. Now, a skiff was a small boat that was attached to the ship and by a rope and was used to help guide it through narrow passages or other types of extra navigational help. It was important that they did not lose that boat. Then, in order to strengthen the structure of the ship, they also ran cables under the ship in an effort to strengthen it and so, so that it would not break apart in the pounding waves. Then they took down their sails and began to lighten the ship. The wind that they encountered was called by sailors Euroclidon, and it is best translated today as a, a typhoon or a northeaster. It has been described as follows. The opposing currents of air created a whirling motion of both clouds and sea, but then the wind began to blow steadily in one direction. Ancient ships lacked much ability to tack, which means to follow a charted zigzag movement so as to make optimal use of unfavorable winds. When contrary winds arose, ships were mostly at their mercy and had to run away from land out into the open sea. Well, the storm did not let up. So they had to begin taking extra measures just to survive the storm. On the third day of this fierce storm, they, they threw the ship's tackle overboard, and you will notice that Luke uses the word we, indicating that Luke, Aristarchus, and Paul were also helping in this work. I'm sure that everyone was involved in simply trying to keep the ship afloat and moving toward any port or landmass. But this, once again, was only a temporary measure. Well, the storm continued to batter the ship for many days, and all those aboard were fighting for their lives. Because of the storm, they were not able to see the sun, moon, or stars, and therefore they had no idea where they were. They were simply in the midst of a fierce and terrible storm in the middle of the sea with no land in sight. To all appearances, it seemed to be a hopeless situation. However, they had one thing in their favor. God's servant, the Apostle Paul, was on board. 
and God had promised Paul that he would testify about Jesus in Rome. Therefore, this ship was not going to go down. God was sovereign in this storm and in Paul's life. And those who were traveling with him would be the recipients of God's sustaining grace and mercy. I'm reminded of a beautiful passage in the book of Isaiah, a promise from God to those who have encountered storms in their lives, difficulties, impossible situations. Listen to what our loving God and Savior promises, Isaiah 43, beginning with verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Perhaps you have found yourself feeling like you were drowning in the seas of impossibilities or in the fires of tribulations. Let me encourage you with the word of the Lord. He says, you are mine. He promises us this, I will be with you. He is your Savior who watches over you just as he promised time and time again. Such as in Hebrews 13, 5, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And in Psalm 121, we are assured of this. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. These are promises that we can cling to with great confidence. Well, for Paul and all those on the ship, they had run out of options. As Luke writes, they had given up all hope that they would be saved. And finally, Finally, they were ready to listen to God's servant. Now was the time for Paul to share with them what God had said to him that night, bringing hope and light into the midst of the darkness of the storm. Listen again to what Paul said. He said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. 
For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sell with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. So let's take a closer look at this. First, Paul reminded them that he had warned them from the beginning that this journey would not end well, but they had disregarded his counsel because they felt that they knew better than him about travel by sea, and also because they stubbornly wanted to get this journey behind them. Next, Paul told them that God had sent his angel to Paul with a message, and this message was actually for everyone. God assured Paul once again that God still wanted him to go all the way to Rome to be his witness in Rome. But God in his mercy and grace also promised to Paul that no one on the ship with him would lose their lives. And finally, Paul took his stand and said, I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Can you say that? Can you say, I believe God? And because I believe I know that whatever he says, he will do? I like what Dr. Ironside writes in response to this. Paul says, God has spoken and I believe God. And Christian, what about you? Do you believe God? Why do you go around with your head hanging down like a bulrush? as much as to say, oh, if you only knew my circumstances, my health is poor and I'm afraid I shall lose my job. I don't know what I shall do when I get old. Do you know one who has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? Do you know that it is written, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Do you know the Holy Spirit has declared all things work together for good to them that love God? Well then, why not brighten up and say, I believe God. The devil is not going to get me down because of circumstances seem to be against me. I believe there is a God who is above all circumstances. This is the stand that Paul took. And we have watched his life bear out the truth that this is exactly how he felt. He believed God. God said it, and that settled the issue. Well, let's turn now to our Bibles to see what God does for Paul and for those who are with him on the ship. So again, in Acts chapter 27, beginning with verse 27. Now when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land, and they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms, and when they had gone a little farther they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. 
And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. They had now been in the midst of the storm for 14 days, two full weeks, being tossed about in darkness and chaos. They couldn't sleep. They couldn't eat because of either their fear or anxiety or simply being battered by the sea. But suddenly the sailors began to discern that they were drawing near land. The sea just simply sounded different to their trained ears. They took soundings and confirmed that they were drawing near land, but now they were in danger of being dashed upon the rocks. So they dropped down four anchors from the stern to slow down their progress until daylight came to help them see what they were up against. During the early hours of the morning, before morning light, some of the sailors decided that they had had enough and they tried to take the skiff in order to escape from the ship. Paul somehow knew about their plan so he informed Julius about their plan with the additional warning that if anyone left the ship, then they also would not survive. This is because God, what God had promised was conditional on doing things God's way. So Julius commanded the soldiers to cut the ropes on the skiff so that their sailors could not escape. As the morning light approached, Paul encouraged everyone to eat something as they would need their strength for what was to come next. Then Paul set for them an example. He, he calmly sat down at the table, took the bread and gave thanks for it and began to eat. Being encouraged, everyone sat down with him and ate their fill. Warren Wearsby observes, what a difference it makes when a person has faith in God. Instead of vainly wishing for a change or selfishly trying to escape, Paul got ready for the demands that would come at daybreak. It is not difficult to understand why everyone had fasted those two weeks, but now it was time to eat. Caring for one's health is an important part of the Christian life. And even an apostle must not abuse his body. Paul took the bread and openly prayed and gave thanks to God. This is a good example for us to follow when we are eating in public places. 
His example encouraged the others to join him, and before long, everybody felt better. There were times when one dedicated believer can change the whole atmosphere of a situation simply by trusting God and making that faith visible. After they had eaten, they threw the rest of the food in the sea. So once again, let us turn to our Bibles to read about how God delivered Paul and all those with him out of the storm to the safety of the land. Acts 27, beginning with verse 39. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile losing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow it to live. But Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or, or suddenly fall down dead. But after they looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Hmm. Well, with the coming of light, they all saw land. But they didn't recognize it. Even the trained soldiers or sailors didn't know where they were. However, you know, that didn't matter. It was land. It was safety. It was life. So they let go of the anchors and allowed the wind to push the ship as far to shore as it could go. It got stuck on a sandbar, but the wind kept trying to drive it forward. And, and finally, the ship could take no more pounding and it began to break apart. At this point, the soldiers were concerned that maybe the prisoners might take the opportunity to escape. And that's why they decided that they needed to maybe kill them. Now we need to understand what this would mean to the soldiers. Roman soldiers were charged with the safekeeping and safe delivery of any prisoners in their care. The law required them to pay with their own lives 
if any of their prisoners escaped. And in the certain chaos of a shipwreck, it would be relatively easy for prisoners to slip away. The soldiers' instinctive reaction was to kill the prisoners so as to prevent this from happening. Once again, Paul became aware of their plan to kill the prisoners, which would have also included Paul. And once again, if they were to do this, none would, to, would survive, including Julius, according to God's promise to Paul. Let us remember that despite the potential for risk, the centurion Julius was impressed enough with Paul to keep the soldiers from carrying out their plan. As the highest-ranking official, he had the full authority to make this decision. And yet, this time, he listened to Paul, and lives were saved. So when Julius discovered the plan, he took control and made sure that all of the prisoners and everyone else on board got to land safely, either by swimming or finding a board or a plank or some part of the ship to help them get to land and all lives were accounted for. Once again, I like the op observation that Dr. Ironside makes. He writes, God's word was fulfilled. All were saved, but they had to meet their own responsibility in the matter. And there's a lesson here for every one of us. No word of God shall be void of power, but we are responsible to obey his word and manifest our faith by our works. The place where they had landed was the small island called Malta. The Bible says that those who lived on that island showed the survivors unusual kindness. I like that. Because once again, I see the hand of God in directing that ship to an island where the people would take care of Paul and his companions. I see God's authority over creation and in Paul's life throughout this entire event. Nothing was out of God's control. Even the devastating storm could not stop the plan of God to get Paul to Rome, so that he could tell the people in Rome about Jesus, who lived and died for their sins and is resurrected from the dead. He is the one who has ascended on high and sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is the one who is sovereign over all the earth. Well, just because they got on shore didn't mean that the storm had abated. In fact, it was cold and raining that day so everyone proceeded to gather some wood to make a fire to warm them and dry them off. However, as Paul, who once again was helping out just like all the others, when he grabbed a bundle of sticks, a venomous viper bit him on the hand. Paul, who had such a strong faith in the power and promises of God, simply shook the viper into the fire and continued to add wood to the fire and go about his, his business. Well, everyone watching assumed, number one, that Paul must have been a murderer because in their superstitions, they assumed that since the storm did not kill Paul, the, the gods were sure that 
that he would die by the bite of a viper. But when he didn't, when that he didn't have any effect whatsoever from the viper's bite, then too, they assumed that he was <laughs> a god. Neither assumption was correct. But this incident would provide Paul a wonderful opportunity to minister to the people on the island in the name of Jesus. And we will discuss that in our next session. But before we close, I want to share with you an excellent application that Dr. Warren Wearsby provides us from this historical account. He writes, before leaving this exciting section of Acts, we should note some practical lessons that it teaches us. First of all, storms often come when we disobey the will of God. Jonah is a good example of this truth. However, it was not Paul who was at fault, but the centurion in charge of the ship. We sometimes suffer because of the unbelief of others. Second, storms have a way of revealing character. Some of the sailors selfishly tried to escape. Others could only hope for the best, but Paul trusted God and obeyed his will. Third, even the worst storms cannot hide the face of God or hinder the purposes of God. Paul received the word of assurance that they needed, and God overruled so that his servant arrived safely in Rome. And finally, storms can give us opportunities to serve others and to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Paul was the most valuable man on that ship. He knew how to pray. He had faith in God and he was in touch with the Almighty. What about you, my friend? Do you see God in the midst of the storms in your life? I think that is one of the lessons Jesus was trying to teach his disciples the day that he joined them in the boat. As soon as he was asleep, a great storm arose, and as it is written, uh, the waves beat onto the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is he? He is Jesus, the Son of the living God. Jesus was with them in the boat, and that boat was not going to go down. Jesus was with them in the midst of the storm, and at his one command, immediately the wind and the waves obeyed him. And Jesus is the one who calls for, even commands us, to have faith in him. If we trust him and obey, even the wind and the waves in our lives 
must obey his every command. Will you trust him today? Will you cry out to him? Will you obey him? If you do, he will see you through every storm that you will encounter. And he will bring you safely home into his presence. Heavenly Father, I'm reminded, O God, of the promise in Psalm 23 that says that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't need to fear any evil because you are with us and your rod and your staff protect us. And that psalm ends that surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is your promise, resurrection promise, everlasting life promise that because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose to life, conquering death and sin forever, when we put our trust in Jesus, you have given to us the gift of everlasting life, the gift of forgiveness of sins, and the wonderful privilege of being called sons and daughters of the living God. And we give you thanks. Yes, Lord, we do encounter storms and trials and tribulations in our life. Help us to remember, Lord, that in those times you are especially near to us. And that you will carry us through. And that you will give to us everything that we need for life and godliness. Because that is your promise to us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You call us by name. We are your children. Thank you, O oh God, for this great and glorious truth. Thank you, O oh God, for our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you for that promise that one day we will see our blessed Lord face to face. In his name we pray. Amen. If you are finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have any questions that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. That's all one word, lowercase, BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. So until next time, keep looking up. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus who is the author and finisher of your faith. Trust him, remembering that he who knows you best loves you most. God bless you, my friend.